The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! You think he's gone? He's not gone! That's the whole point! He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I mustn't have been paying attention When you were just talking to me Do you think that you could repeat the question? Click on this. Push down the pad. Center of pad. Gotcha. All right, we're doing our best. We got technical difficulties today. Hi, how you doing? How's everything going? Good, good. Glad to hear it. Glad your life is going well. Having a little difficulty today. My I am Tom Duggan. This is the Paying Attention Podcast. My co-host, Paul Morano, who also has nothing for you today. Um, we're just going to be uh, sitting here filling in for an hour. Just like talking about stuff, because we really, neither one of us have anything to talk about. Sometimes, though, that, those turn out to be the best shows, right? The ones that are unplanned. So, uh, let's see. Are we even live? It doesn't say that we're live. Oh, yeah, we are live. All right, just checking. Uh, let's get this. Uh, I don't know how to mute anything on this. I'm borrowing Ed Sullivan's computer, because my computer uh, did a Windows 10 update yesterday and has not been working since. So... If you look at the top line of function keys, you'll see little speakers, and I think you can turn it down until... Uh, oh, I see it. Yep. Very good. All right. So, uh, hey, thanks for coming. This is the Paying Attention Podcast. Middle of the summer, right? Middle of August. It's hot. Everybody's on vacation. Everybody but, you know, me, because my life is pathetic. And, Paul, I bet you're on vacation, right? You I'm come on back, vacation. You come back from vacation just to do the show, right? <laughs> no, but I'm on vacation. You are on vacation. Yeah. From? Uh, just from work. Oh, I see. Yeah. So now you're a teacher, right? You're a professor. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I so, teach college. So what's it like to be in the profession where you have to do the least amount of work for the money you get paid? Uh, it's great. Yeah? I mean, yeah. you won't work all summer. You get paid, right? Don't you get paid for the summer? Uh, no, actually, I don't, but, don't. but some do, uh-huh. yeah, depending on the contract. You know, if, you were a liberal, yeah. if you were a liberal professor, well, they, you would probably they, have tenure and they'd be doubling your salary while oh, you're yeah. not working. Oh, yeah. I'm always one foot out the door. Gotcha. Because I, I love truth. Truth? Yes. Where did that come from? Uh, well... Originally? <laughs> From the creator himself. No, I meant here at the table, Paul. Oh, well, uh, it's, well it should be, uh, should be something that we both uh, are, are focused on. And I, I think we both are to a certain I, degree. I, I guess tell everybody who you yeah. are, what you do. You get a little radio show that you do. And oh, boy. We're, we're that hard up for time? <laughs> Paul Morano, I, I, I do a lot of things, actually. But one of them is I, I host the Beneath the Surface radio show. And when he says beneath the surface, he's not yeah. kidding. He gets so far beneath the surface that if you tune in like five minutes after he starts the show, you've got no clue what he's talking about for the rest of the show. Now, there's been times when I've tuned that. in. No, there's been times when I've tuned in, but I tune in late, and it's like, look, I have no clue like, where you what are. What the heck is he it's talking about? It's not one of those things where you can just kind of tune in and catch up. You just can't do that on your show. Oh, well, well, that's then. Then that should be impetus for everyone to uh, impetus. Listen to, us, Ooh. listen to us from the beginning. 10 to 11 p.m. on Monday evenings, WCAP radio, but um, it's all over the internet. Yeah, and there was a time when we wouldn't even let you say what station it was, but... We're, we're, uh, is we're, that all right that I said that? Yeah, we're, we're kind yeah. of okay with it now. All right. We have, we have new wars to fight with Seacoast Magazine and a whole bunch of other people. So, um, all right. So, we've got uh, a couple things going on today. Um, I woke up today and um, turned on CNN, as I always do. Despite what the haters on Facebook always say, you, you watch Fox, it's Fox, because they're so obsessed with Fox. Um, I don't. I watch CNN. I get up this morning. Why don't you on. watch MSNBC? Um, it's tough to watch MSNBC because it, it, at least MSNBC is honest about the fact that they're not presenting news. They're the, they're you think the, they're more honest they're, about they're that? The, yeah, they're the political arm of the Democrat National Committee. They think they're there to take down Donald Trump, and they say that. Like every mm. night they say that. CNN pretends to be objective news, mm. and when Donald Trump calls out the fake news, they go, wait, he's talking about us. Well, yeah, because you're admitting your fake news. Um, so I put on CNN today, and I saw Aretha Franklin died, and I turned off the TV before they even finished saying it. Because I already know the script. We already know the script. Now, you don't have to watch TV all day. Here's, here's what you're going to hear if you tune in. Like, tune away while you're listening to me, while you're watching me. Flip on CNN, and I promise you, promise you, here's what you're going to hear. Everybody loved her. 
She never had a bad word to say about anyone. She brought a smile to everyone's face. She lit up every room she walked into. Every time someone dies, and we talk about this, Paul, especially someone famous, they canonize Pete. They can, unless you're someone who's like that the news doesn't like, and then, and then they vilify them. But for the most part, anybody dies, a kid in a car accident, Aretha Franklin, Prince, remember Prince? Oh, yeah. Died from drug overdose. He was, he was really kind of a scummy human being. And CNN and the rest of the cable news, including Fox, including Fox, they did, they did it too. Just wall to wall, everybody loved him. He made such a contribution to the world. It's a script, folks. And yet every time someone dies, they follow the same script. And we as consumers don't realize that it's the same exact friggin' script that they use for the oh, last person kind, that died. It's kind of a magnification, though, of what happens at every funeral, isn't it? Such uh, a good man. Everyone loved him. Yeah, such a wonderful human well, being. But at, at a, but at a funeral, like, yeah. I, and by the way, I hate going to funerals. I hate yeah. going to wakes. I go to as few of them as I can, no matter how much I like the person, I knew the person. But when I go, at least we're hearing Johnny was a great person. He loved people. And then gave examples of, yeah. like, who he was as an individual uh, to his friends who could nod in agreement or shake their head and go, yeah, that's not the guy I knew, right? But on cable news, they just make stuff up, and then they go to people that knew them to canonize them. And listen, if they were going to do that, and they were going to do it at the top of the news hour, and then move on to other stories, it would still be annoying to me because most things annoy me anyway. Well, should cable news... But it's 24-7. I got up at 10, and it was on, and I turned it off, and I did some work, and I went back at 10.30, right. and it was still thing. on. Right. At quarter of 12, they were talking about Aretha Franklin. At quarter past one, they were talking about Aretha would Franklin. Would you be happier if 50% of their talking was about the negative things about Aretha Franklin? No, and I'm not, no? Saying, no, I'm not saying that, right. you know, to, to, to sacri sacrilege the right. dead to Just either. mention it once an hour and then go on to other things. But Is yeah, that what you're like, saying? Like, you know, how about, like, Aretha Franklin's dead? Yeah, okay. Yep. First of all, she, folks, I'm sorry if I'm being insensitive. She was a singer. She's not a member of the Marines that got shot in Iraq. She's not a hero, right? She, she's not a police officer that, that died saving a baby from a burning car. You know, she's not a firefighter who, who, you know, lost his life or lost one of his limbs trying to save somebody. She's a singer. She's not a hero. She's a singer. Just like Prince was a singer. And to canonize these people as heroes kind of really, I think, Paul tells us about our culture. Which is why I think this is a perfect topic for you. Well, there's various ways to look at this. I think that singers um, of pop music definitely touch the lives of certain people consciously more than somebody who is injured in Iraq touches their life consciously and hence they're more aware. When you say touches their life, I heard her song. I liked it. That didn't touch my life. Well, for example... Like it didn't touch my life. In, in 1980 when John Lennon was shot, I, yeah. was, I was shattered. Really? Uh, I, I celebrated jubilantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's weird, but I was shattered. When Davy Jones of the Monkees died a few years ago, I was, I was I know, shattered. Yes, you, you cried. I remember uh, that. Well, I didn't cry, but <laughs> I cried inside. Uh, th there are certain uh, pop musicians that, that touch your heart. Maybe growing up, maybe you were a kid or something. That's When you hear that they're no longer with us, it really it does something to you. Now, I you know what makes me sad? What makes me sad is when yeah. I put on the police scanner in the morning and I hear uh, car 422, go to Essex and Broadway for a man down. We've narcanned him three times. We can't bring him back. That makes me sad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When, I, when I turn on the scanner but and I hear shots fired, Hampshire Street, seven shots to the back, the guy's not making it. That makes me sad. But when I hear Davy Jones died, that, it doesn't make me sad. That's self-serving for me to be sad because... It just it reminds me how old I am now that he's dead. <laughs> right? That doesn't make me sad. That just, just makes me feel old. It's not a conscious I mean, thing. Am I wrong about this, Ed? It's an unconscious thing. It's, no, an, it's an involuntary thing. I see what Paul was saying, you know, and it's not so much about the person, but their body of work and the way it may have touched your life. Mm -hmm. You know, you always have associations. So, I mean, if it's a positive reaction to the body of work, then yeah, I, I felt sadness at the death of singers. Really? Give me an example. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Warren Zevon. Warren Zevon. Okay. Remember him? Oh, he was... I'll sleep uh, when you, I'm dead? You guys yeah. are out of your minds. Werewolves of London? Of oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw him Wheel in concert. Werewolves of London. I saw him in concert. He backed up Eddie Money, um, mm -hmm. I'm going to say like maybe five years ago at Hampton Beach Casino, maybe maybe longer. It was longer. My time frames were always you, off. You are getting old. Yeah, maybe 10 years ago. Um, and, and he was okay. 
but he was like an old guy trying to be relevant again. And some of the songs were good, I guess. But, you know, even Eddie Money, I love Eddie Money. I got to interview him. I got to hang out with him backstage. He came out. He did some great songs. Um, but when Eddie Money passes, and this is a guy that I've met. This is a guy that I kind of idolized as a kid. I don't know if I'm going to be sad about it. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm sad. You say, I guess we're sad when anyone dies. Or we say we're sad when anyone dies. But I'm not feeling anything emotionally out of it. Not like I do when I hear, like on the police scanner, someone overdosed, they couldn't bring them back. That makes me sad. Hmm. Right? Because that's like a needless death. I, I think what makes me sad when I find out someone died is if they died, like, untimely. Um, that little kid, I guess there was a little kid uh, four or five weeks ago that died in a car accident somewhere in the Tuxbury area. Car flipped over and like a four-year-old kid died. That made me sad. Four-year-old kid, right? Yeah. But other than that, like, you know, Aretha Franklin died. Prince died. Who else? A couple of other celebrities in the last year have died. Anthony Bourdain. Anthony oh, Bourdain. Yeah. Oh, Anthony Bourdain. my God. Somebody was telling me, uh, Tim Wood from Loop Weekly knew Anthony Bourdain. Mm. And so he called me the day that it happened and said, you know, Tom, Tom, dude, I just, I'm just really, uh, just really not feeling it with this Bourdain thing. I just, I knew him and just awful. And, and I, and I started laughing at him, and then I, I, didn't, realize, I didn't realize he said he knew them. Right. I, like it, that it went past my brain when he said it. So I started, like, mocking him, and then he said, well, yeah, but I knew him. And then I was like, all right, well, if you knew the guy, then, you know, that, that I guess I right. can understand. But I don't, I don't understand. Like, when Ronald Reagan died, I felt sad for the country because I was like, this is the last time we're going to have an American like that running our country. Like, he was unique, and right. he did so much for the country. He did so much for our troops. That made me sad, but I can't remember the last time I was sad at a celebrity, like a singer, an actor, um, you know, a movie actor, a TV actor, a comedian, you know. No. Uh, how about no. Mother Teresa? Mother, I didn't I, listen. I'm, it's going to make me a horrible person to say. It. I'm just going to be honest. I didn't. I wasn't sad when Mother Teresa died. She. She. If anyone's going to heaven, if there is a heaven, she's going there. There's nothing to be sad about. Well, there. it's not necessary. I don't know if it's a sadness. I th- there must be a better word for it. Uh, right. A sort of a um, a jolt. I think is a better word. All right. Yeah. You know. I mean, you don't know them personally, but it sort of jolts you out of your comfort zone for a mo- for at least a day or two. Well, uh, okay. Doesn't that make sense? I think that's a better way of describing it, and especially with Anthony Bourdain, that one mm. shocked me in a way, just because of the way the presence, the way that the presence you see of him on the TV. And what's his name from Mork and Mindy? Uh, uh, few, Robin Williams. A few years yeah. back, yeah. Boy, um, this is a guy that had life by the balls. Like, why that guy killed himself? I mean, he's doing his babysitter. He leaves his wife. He marries the babysitter. He's got all kinds of women throwing themselves at him. How is that guy suicide? Give me that life. Right. Like, how is that guy suicide? I've got millions and millions of dollars, well-respected in every field he's in, and he's depressed? Like, that, that I don't get. I mean, it doesn't make me sad. It just befuddles me. I can't pull up the Valley Peaky right. website on this little thing. I don't know why. Hmm. It's not working. Well, it's from Apple. It's probably, you know, self-censoring. Who knows? It could be. Now, the, uh, the song that uh, made Aretha Franklin famous, and, and of course there were a few of them, but Respect mm. was actually um, written by uh, Otis Redding, and it was written for a man. And the, the idea of the song was that... Um, Women don't respect men? No, he, the, the, what he was supposed to be singing about is you can do your own thing at home, and, but, but just I work hard when I come home. I just want a little respect from you. That's all I'm asking. And, of course, uh, then, then she, sang, she sang it two years later and turned it into a sort of a, a feminist anthem. Um, all I want is a little respect. Uh, you know, it's sort of a, a Me Too kind of anthem now. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, I, I don't want to take anything away from Aretha yeah. Franklin. I'm sure she loved puppies, right? I'm sure her yeah. family loved her. She might have. Um, you know, she, she did have an effect on pop culture. She sang. She was a good singer. I liked a few of her songs. Uh, she's not a hero. And she certainly doesn't deserve 24-7 coverage on a news channel. On the E! Entertainment Hollywood special channel, knock yourself out. Go wall-to-wall Aretha Franklin. Play all of her music and her movies and her songs. And, you know, rerun uh, that movie with John Belushi that she was in. And what, what was that movie? Um, Not Animal House. What was the other one? Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers, yeah. Yeah, play, you know, play, play a 24-7 Blues Brothers marathon if you want. But on the news channel, I tune in to find out, like, you know, were, were any of our troops killed over in Afghanistan today? Did are there any missing kids, you know, that I should be on the lookout for? Um, any government officials stealing money from us? 
um, you know, a fire where somebody died. I want news. I want news. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want. I, I everybody think, loved Aretha Franklin, and now I'm going to talk to her babysitter's mailman's third cousin who knew her growing <laughs> up. No, I don't want that. You know, you want news. I want news. You want news. I want news. That's what I you want. I want what's real, and I want news. If I'm not mistaken, I think you want news. I think that's what I'm looking yes. for, and I'm not getting it. Uh, of course, by the uh, way, before Aretha Franklin died, we weren't getting that anyway, right? Yeah, so what happened? Nothing. You get Donald Trump's an evil left-wing communist spy for Vladimir Putin. And by the way, after the break, we're going to talk about how he's a right-wing fascist Nazi communist. <laughs> what? Huh? How does that work? So. Well, it was kind of even worse when Michael Jackson died. Do you remember that a few years ago? Yeah. Well, that, you know, that just took over. Well, but that was interesting, though. That was, the, that was the first time, at least in my lifetime, that I can mm. remember. Yeah. Where a celebrity, a so-called beloved celebrity died, yeah. but they talked about the negative things about him hmm. after he died. They talked about hmm. the accusations of child molestation. Hmm. They talked about That's his legal point. trouble. He's the only celebrity that I can remember. Maybe there was another one that I remember, but he's the only one that I can remember where they actually were kind of honest. Look, when I die... I don't want people to get up and say, he loved everyone, he brought a smile to everyone's face. Look, I, there's times when I'm an asshole. <laughs> and I don't want somebody misportray. I don't want someone misportraying who I am when I'm dead any more than I want them misportraying who I am when I'm alive. When I'm dead, I want people who, who cared about me or didn't care about me to show up at my funeral and go, you know what? The guy did some he, really... He was an asshole. The guy yeah. did some really yeah. good things, and then there were times <laughs> when he was a real asshole, but we're going to miss him. That's what I want. I want honesty. If you can't give me honesty at my funeral, I will come back and I will haunt you and the next five generations of your family. <laughs> well, you know, that was always the Irish way. I could say Tom Duggan was an asshole. Right. As long as I yeah. end it with God rest his soul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just saying. At least that's, that's being honest. Right. Just saying. So at your funeral, it should, it should be written up there, like above your pictures. Yeah, listen, I'm not Tom was an asshole. Tom was a, yeah. listen, I'm not perfect. I'm yeah. the first one to say when I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm the first one to say that I'm not perfect. I don't pretend to be perfect. I don't even pretend to be close to perfect. When I die, I don't want people running around saying how friggin' perfect I was because I'm not. And I don't want people to say how I was all good and everything I did was good because that's not true either. I want an accurate portrayal of who I was. There are times when I do stupid things. There are times when I do hateful things just like all of us. I want people to remember me as who I am, not canonize me and turn me into a cartoon character of what they wanted me to be. It, it sounds like you want a news story. I want, yeah, that's right. Yeah, when I die, just give me a friggin' news story. Now, you know what the Tribune's going to do when I die? It's so, going to be Tom Duggan who resigned from the school committee in 1991 from a sex scandal. Because that, that was my name for 10 years when the, in the Eagle Tribune. I, I thought the answer was celebrate. but. Celebrate. <laughs> So you don't want to be a cartoon character. I don't know. I just yeah. want, this is what's wrong with all of our culture and our society. I, I just want real. I want what's real. And I really, believe, real. I really believe that the average member of the public yeah. wants real, too. Why is it that... I don't uh, know about that anymore. Well, look. <laughs> I really don't. Just All you have to do is look to pop culture to, va to validate this. Yeah. We used to be able to turn on TV at night, and it would be Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and all these yeah. sitcoms, then a couple of dramas. Today... It's all reality shows. There's very few real sitcoms on. There's very few good dramas on that people actually watch that are popular. It's all reality TV shows from The Apprentice to all the MTV shows. Yeah, but they're not real. These reality shows aren't real. Well, but that, well, that, that brings us to another point, right? We could do yeah. a whole segment on this. Most of those so-called reality shows are scripted. <laughs> totally. But, they're, but the public is fooled into believing that they're real. I mean, it's just so obvious. You don't even have to be a professional to well, see the edits. I think you do. I, I, oh, listen, I even Jerry Springer is scripted. Like, I, oh, yeah. Always has been. If I put on CNN and it's Trump's a Nazi and Trump's a communist, and I'm like, okay, I've had enough of that today, I, I'll go to Jerry Springer on the Wilco show. <laughs> and it's funny to watch because I watch TV way differently than everyone else. I put on Springer and I watch when the guy says, well, then why did you cheat on me? And she's like, because, and then she looks down because like, she can't remember her lines. Mm, yeah. And, and she looks around, and then she looks to Jerry Springer, and Jerry Springer like feeds her a line. Mm. Well, you're unhappy because he cheated, right? Yeah, I'm unhappy because you be cheating. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, that, to me, that's what's funny is watching them forget their lines and then try and like, you know, get back into the moment because it's all supposed to be like these I mean, usually, usually they stop it and they say, okay, let's take it from right, here. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes I guess they don't. No, they don't. No. And of course, there was JFK Jr. Remember him? That, uh, that took over the media for about uh, a at least a week. JFK they, they were actually oh, the trying plane, to the plane. Yeah, crash. they were trying yeah. to find him there for a while. Yeah, CNN's still trying to find the Malaysian airplane from mm. like from like four years ago. They're still they're still doing uh, 
they're still doing all these virtual reality things. I'm in a virtual reality plane. Remember Wolf Blitzer? I'm in a rea- hmm. virtual reality plane. It might have looked like this. Might not have, but it might have. <laughs> Unbelievable. They have to fill time, Tom. This is 24-7 yeah, that but they you, have. But, but, when, when we were growing up, it was one hour a night. But there's so many things you could fill time with. Look, even for a lazy journalist, right? Even for a lazy CNN journalist, there are ways you can fill time that's actually news. Like you rip a couple of AP stories, you rip a couple of Reuters stories, you call one person involved in the story, you get one quote, you go live. Breaking news, the AP just reported mm-hmm. um, a police officer in Detroit was just gunned down by three masked men at a bank robbery. We've got a quote from the police chief. And what is that? what did that take? It took three seconds, maybe four seconds to verify and then broadcast. But they're not even doing that. Like, they can't even, they can't even bring themselves to do that. It's just t- Donald Trump's a lying liar who lies and today's lying about yesterday's lie. It's, it's just over and over and over. And by the way, they're going to get Donald Trump reelected. I really thought, like, in the first year of Trump's presidency that, yeah, I like a lot of the things that he's doing, but there's no way this guy gets more than one term. Now, you might see a revolution to give this guy four terms, the way CNN and MSNBC (laughs) and the rest of them act, because they go so over the top. Hmm. Just today, Paul, all of the newspapers colluded, I'm going to use Donald Trump's word because he's right, all of the news uh, newspapers, not all of them, but many of the major newspapers in the country colluded to write simultaneous editorials about how Donald Trump sucks and he's a, he's a danger to our democracy because he attacks the press. Do they forget that Harry Truman attacked the press and Jen F. Kennedy attacked well, the Obama press? Obama attacked uh, Fox News all the time. Not only Fox News. And, and uh, Rush a- Limbaugh. And, and AP. He went after AP. He had, mm. he had the Justice Department snooping their phone calls and snooping their emails. And That's true. And following them. And uh, Bill Clinton hated Rush Limbaugh. Absolutely. With it, with hated Fox News and Rush Limbaugh. But yeah. somehow Donald Trump does it. It's never been done before. Unprecedented. <laughs> I watch, um, who's, the, who's the gay guy at night with the white hair? I can never remember. Anderson Cooper. I watch Anderson Cooper. Unprecedented. We, you sh- we could do a drinking game. Every time a CNN so-called journalist says the word unprecedented drink, you're bombed in the first five minutes. But when you look to see if it's actually unprecedented, and, and even if it is, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad because it's unprecedented. Well, yeah. So, like, I Google, they say, oh, this, this, this is unprecedented. And then I Google them, I see, like, Truman hated the press. They mm. called them scoundrels. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant went to war with the press, like, the entire time he was president. That goes back, like, 150 years. But Trump does it unprecedented. He's mm. the president. And this is the best part. <laughs> He's the president of the United States. <laughs> Date. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's Lemon, right? Uh, yeah, Don okay. Lemon. Yeah. So he mentioned Don Lemon in a, tw- in a tweet last week. It was absolutely hysterical. And, of course, Don Lemon, mm. who cries on almost every show because he's just so <laughs> sensitive. He's uh, just so sensitive. He has to cry on every show. One of them cried today about Aretha Franklin. I'm not, it was oh, one, of the, really? one of those two, yeah. Listen, think. listen, if you knew Aretha Franklin yeah. and you cried think, because she's Lemon. dead, that's okay, right? No, honestly, like if you knew Aretha Franklin and yeah. you find out she died and you're on the air and you choke up, that's human. Otherwise, it's called acting, <laughs> right? That's what it is. It's fake and it's phony. If, if like, I can't think of anybody that I, that I like listening to for music more than Shakira, right? I'd marry her in two seconds, even though she's really kind of a communist. But I'd still marry her, right? If Shakira tragically died, God forbid, in a car accident tomorrow, and we came in to do a show about it, I wouldn't be choked up, right? I think, no, you've never met her. Well, yeah, wait, well, I have met her, but... But, but like I've not, I, I didn't know her. Like I met her to like say hi to her backstage for like three seconds because I had a police friend at, at the Worcester Center, which is called something else now. Went back and said hi to her. But DCU like, Center. But 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 I didn't know her. I didn't know who she was. Mm. Um, when my friend Kevin Callahan, who was a Lawrence police officer, died, accidentally shot himself, or at least so the story goes. Um, we did a show the following week. And I choked up talking about him because I grew up with the kid. We were in a band together. We went to St. Pat's together. We hung out in high school. Um, when he was a police officer, he used to come by my house all the time and say hi. So when he died, yeah, you were somebody you know dies. You start talking about it in public. You choke up. But I don't remember ever choking up when, like, I don't know, um, I don't know, somebody that died. When Prince died, I don't remember ever choking. I don't see. I can't see anybody choking well, I don't, up. I don't understand crying about it I, I, and feeling sad. I, like I said, I, it's like a shock to the system. Yeah. It's like a wow. Yeah. I can't believe he's gone. Yeah. That's all. So, all right. You want to take a quick break, Ed? 
We're actually pretending we're doing a show today, but we're really not. We're going to talk about Bethune a little bit when we come back. I know I got a lot of people texting me when we were late. Sorry about the technical difficulties. My computer's still not loading up. It's trying, but it's not doing it. Back on paying attention where everybody gets it. A&M Auto Body, we got our friend Angelo over there. Angelo Memolo over there, he does great work on your car. So if you got a ding in your car, somebody hit you, you got a mechanical problem, you bring it to A&M Auto. He's on South Broadway in Lawrence on Inman Street. Angelo will take care of you. Um, so what's the address there? 341 Three South Broadway, Lawrence, Massachusetts. Then we got Joe Zingales, Rosanna Zingales-Lopez from Century 21. They have been with us from the very first edition of the Valley Patriot. They've been with us from the very first Paying Attention show which was in 1999, back when he was Remax. He's not Remax anymore. Now he's Century 21, Teams and Gallus. And they sponsor our bash. They gave a $1,000 scholarship this year. They gave a $2,000 scholarship last year. And that money comes right out of their pocket. That's not like they're collecting money from other people and just using it like I do. They actually took money out of their pocket. So I don't know why these guys love me so much. I really don't. But Twin Lights, let me tell you how, how dedicated I am to helping my sponsors. The guys at Twin Light Security needed an extra security guy to do private investigations and to do security for a certain thing in Boston. And they posted it on my page and asked if it was okay if they could use my page to solicit hiring people. And I said, you know what, as busy as I am, these guys sponsor the show, they sponsor the Valley Patriot, they give us $1,000 for the bash. I'm gonna go work for these guys. So I called up Pat McLaughlin and I said, look, you help us every single time we need something. Whenever I put out a call, you're there. If you need an extra person and you're short, I'll take the night off and I'll come work for you. And so I, ha so I have been. I've been doing some work for them because they're helping us. And so there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to find a way to help them in the meantime. So if you need security or if you're getting divorced and you need a private investigator, if you have a business and you need a private investigator or security, uh, you want to call Twin Lights Security. They're based out of Gloucester, but they're very local. If while I'm driving around Lawrence, I get shot and killed, make sure you get my body to Perez Funeral Home because we do business with the people who do business with us. And he's on South Broadway with the, it's the old Scott Funeral Home. If, you were, if you're an old time Lawrence resident, it's the old Scott Funeral Home on, on South Broadway. Perez Funeral Home at 298 South Broadway in Lawrence. Um, you can, they do crematory services. They do all the stuff that they're supposed to do, right? And uh, Mike's a, a big fan of the show. He followed us when we go live. He's an advertiser now in the print edition of the paper, and he's now sponsoring this program. Perez Funeral Home and Crematory Services, 298 South Broadway in Lawrence. We appreciate him. Uh, Franklin Veloz from Veloz Auto Group. Uh, he specializes in people that have uh, maybe bad credit, no credit. Maybe you haven't had a job for a long period of time, so you don't think that maybe you qualify for a car loan. Usually, you know, they want you to have a job for a year or more. Uh, he specializes in getting people who have bad credit or no credit or maybe spotty credit, uh, getting them into a used car. He used to work for Charlie Dears Commonwealth Motors for a long, long time, so he knows his stuff. I think he was a credit manager over there or something. So he knows what he's doing, and, um, and he follows us live, too. I really appreciate that he does. Every time I see him pop on, I'm very excited about it. And I was there yesterday to deliver his newspaper, and he said he's already had customers come in from us talking about him on this show. So we appreciate Veloz Auto Group. Go see Franklin. He's at 17 Mass Ave. It's right at the very beginning of Mass Ave on the Lawrence North Andover line. Right at the post, too, right? 29 minutes. This is perfect. We get a half an hour coming back. Thank you, Ed Sullivan, the voice of purgatory. You are welcome, my friend. Mike, my, my, by the way, it's now, uh, what time is it now? Three, it's 3 o'clock, right? We started a half an hour late. My computer's still trying to boot yep. up. Uh, I'm, I'm using a little portable computer that Ed Sullivan gave me today. 308. Yeah, so I did, a, I did a Windows 10 update, and for some reason, my computer is just not working anymore. Um, thanks for coming back. It's the Paying Attention podcast. We're talking about all kinds of things today, kind of a fill-in show for, for mid-August. Most of you guys are on vacation. You're all enjoying your families. You're enjoying traveling, and I'm here for you. Driving through the city at night, going to shootings, going to fires. Um, we've had qu quite a bit, Paul, in the last... Uh, it's been a very quiet summer overall, Paul, in Lawrence, as far as violence goes. And I've gone out of my That's way... Good. I've gone out of my way to write in every story that comes out when there's a shooting that even though there's a shooting today, 
the, the violence in Lawrence is down about 50%, that Lawrence has gotten a lot better in the last eight to 10 months. And because I, I don't want people to see, you know, a shooting, focus on the shooting and then go, yeah, Lawrence, you know, Lawrence is still getting worse. It's not, it's actually getting better. But in the last four or five days, maybe the last six or seven days, there have been a spate of shootings. There has been a spate of violence. And I'm sad to say that I'm almost ready to say that the calm summer in Lawrence may be over. Hmm. Um, one of those was a shooting. We were, at, we were actually at this shooting uh, on August 8th, which would have been last week, on Kingston Street in Lawrence. We heard the call. I was actually up in, way up in Methuen when I heard the call go out on the scanner. And by the time I got all the way to South Lawrence, Kingston Street, the, uh, the cops were actually just kind of arriving. And um, a number of uh, bullet casings that they found, somebody had driven by and shot up a house. Um, a couple days later, we got a press release from the state police. They caught the guy that did it. He's a known gang member in Lawrence. He um, shot up a house. Shot up a house. The, ba- the outside of the house. Yeah. Going into the windows. Yeah, so he right. drove by. Apparently, a, a guy on a bike, bicycle, came by pointed at the house and a guy in a moped behind him came and shot the house up and kept going. They actually caught the guy with a gun, all kinds of drugs on him and stuff. Uh, A known gang member, we don't say the names of the gangs, but he was a known gang member in Lawrence. It's the main gang in Lawrence that's kind of taken over the city. And um, since then, there's been a number of other shootings. There was a shooting last night on Prospect Street and Fulton Street where someone shot up, uh, shot at a house. Uh, they found at least one bullet casing. They found one live round, uh, which is very interesting. Usually that tells me that, that his gun jammed. Mm. Like I, I, I have a 9mm. If I go to shoot and my gun jams, I've got to pull that bullet out to rechamber another bullet, which means a live round goes out. So mm. that, that kind of... It's kind of like when a, um, uh, a stapler jams. Right, yeah, you yeah. You open the thing, get rid of the stapler. Right, the stapler, right. So, so you had the live round. And there's been, there's been a couple of other uh, violent things going on in Lawrence, but I don't want people to interpret the last five or six days as, see, Lawrence is still just as horrible as it was a year and a half ago, because it's not. Um, The police are working very hard. And listen, Chief Roy Vask and the Lawrence police have worked very hard on even just the little things, even the quality of life issues, um, to keep Lawrence as calm as it has been for the beginning of the summer. And the fact that we are now at August 15th, we're way past the halfway part of the year, there's only been three murders in Lawrence. Last year at this time, there were nine. Why do you think it went down so much? Um, I right. think it's a combination. I think the alphabet soup of uh, federal law enforcement agencies that have been in Lawrence, ICE has deported a boatload of people, um, the DEA, the FBI. I've seen the U.S. Marshals. I've, seen, I've actually seen like federal law enforcement agencies that like we haven't seen in Lawrence in a long time, like, like U.S. Environmental Police, we see them in there. Um, I think that's part of it. I think they've drained the swamp in Lawrence. We, we know in any community, Lawrence, Haverhill, Manchester, New Hampshire, we know that the majority of the people there are not committing crimes. It's always like that, that small percentage of people that are committing crime after crime after crime after crime. You get a guy, when we had the chief on here uh, a few weeks ago, he was talking about a homeless person that they had caught who had set seven fires in Lawrence. Now that's seven fires on the books, right? Seven arsons on the books by, by one guy. You take that one guy off the street, look at, look at the crime that, well, you're, that you're avoiding. Uh, I, my obvious question is, why didn't they after the first or second one? Well, they didn't, know, they, they didn't catch him. Okay. So they caught right. him, I think, after like the sixth or seventh. And they proved it was the same guy? And yeah, and, and, they, and, they, and they got that he's the same guy. So I guess my point is that there's always a small number of people in any group, any organization that are causing problems, in any community causing problems. And when you've got the federal government going in there, the state police gang unit, the state police fugitive task forces in Lawrence on a daily basis, it really is an alphabet soup of law enforcement. There are just as many cops driving the city of Lawrence at rush hour as there are regular citizens. And I think they've drained the swamp significantly by getting a lot of these people out of the city, putting them into the criminal justice system, and getting them to not want to come back. I think that's part of it. I think it's a large part. That's the foundation. The other part is Chief Roy Vask and the Lawrence police and the detectives and the plainclothes guys have really aggressively gone after quality of life issues in Lawrence, Paul. If they go to your house because there's a noise complaint that you've got music that's too loud, in the old days, they'd knock on your door, tell you to turn it down. Mm. They'd leave, you'd turn it back up. Mm. They'd come back and they'd tell you to turn it back down again and they'd play this cat and mouse game all night. Now, 
They show up, they knock on your door, they tell you to turn it down, they ask you for your ID, they take a picture of your ID, they fill out a report that you were warned, and the next time they come back, it's a $200 fine, hmm. right? All of a sudden, you're not seeing people, the cops going to the same addresses five and six times a night anymore hmm. because the person who's renting or the person who owns that place is now going to pay a financial penalty for it, and who wants that? Right? Mm-hmm. So you've got things like that. You've also got the cops in Lawrence now have a quota of how many car- of pulling over certain numbers of cars, doing stops of certain numbers of cars a shift. Doesn't mean they have to write them a ticket, hmm. but if you see someone going through a red light, if you see somebody going too fast, if you hear somebody playing their music too loud, um, you'll hear it now all, all day on the scanner, all night on the scanner. The cops are pulling over everybody who's doing anything wrong. Well, they're being more aggressive. Way more aggressive. And I think because of that, you're starting to see a domino effect on the bigger crimes. Because the smaller crimes, when you let them go, become bigger crimes. People get more bold. I was, commit, I was under the impression that crimes. police in general have been, uh, become less aggressive because of all of the you know, Obama administration uh, news wa- that uh, <laughs> the black lives, not, not just black lives matter, but the whole you know, blue lives are, 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 are too aggressive. Yeah. No, nationally, uh, I think I you're right. Okay. Lawrence is like the Twilight Zone, though. We know this because yeah. we've been covering it forever. Lawrence goes against every national trend, no matter what we're talking about. And, uh, and for the last year, the crime rate in Lawrence, it, not only has the crime rate gone down, but the, Lawrence was once the car theft capital of the world. Hmm. At one point in the late 80s, early 90s, Lawrence was the car theft capital of the world and simultaneously the arson capital of the world. Of the world, not the country, not New England. And this year, there have been... Fewer cars stolen than any other year in recorded history. The f- car thefts in Lawrence have dropped so dramatically. And I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I know I looked at it a couple of days ago. It is the lowest it's ever been. And that's because we now have a car theft task force again. So our new chief has reconstituted a lot of these specialty law enforcement units. We've got a gang unit now. We've got a drug unit now. He's bringing on a canine unit after he came on the show and we talked about the canines. Um, and he's constituted the car theft unit. And I think all of that combined, I don't think it's any one of those things, but all of that combined, is making Lawrence a much safer place. Now, don't misunderstand me to say Lawrence is safe, because it's not. It's not a safe place. But it's much, much safer than it was a year ago. It's far safer than it was two or three years ago, and it's light years from where it was when Willie Lentigo was mayor. It's going in the right direction, I think, apparently. I think it is. Uh, all right, so what else do we have? In Methuen, all kinds of controversy, Paul. In Methuen, the, um, wow, I love watching those city council meetings, man. It's like it, when people ask me like uh, in October, hey, what'd you do this summer? Anything fun? My answer is going to be, yeah, I spent every night watching city council meetings, the Methuen City Council, man. That was a blast. You are a news nerd. I am a news nerd. Some of the things that I find fun, other people probably find boring. Um, it's, it's really started to come to a head in Methuen. They've got a $4 million deficit. They're borrowing $4 million from the state. They're getting a fiscal overseer. Don't send me emails saying that's not his official title. It's really a CAFO and all this other, all this other nuanced stuff that the public doesn't care about. For all intents and purposes, the guy is a fiscal overseeing. He's going to be overseeing your fiscal house in Methuen. Um, what's interesting, though, is that, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I want to expound, is that the police department has been blamed for the fiscal oversight. And it's the school department that's $4 million in the red, not the police department. Yet the Daily Paper printed the salaries of all the police officers, but not all of the school administrators, even though the schools are $4 million in the red, not the police. Why is that? Uh, because there's a concerted effort, I believe, by the mayor, his administration, and working very closely with the Tribune, because they're pretty much, excuse my French, up his ass, um, to blame the police. And in, in effect, what they did is they took money from the police department and gave it to the schools... And now you got DJ Deeb, who's a member of the school committee, came onto my page a couple of days ago, crying and whining, look at, all the, look at all the spending in the police department. How come they're not taking a cut? Well, maybe because you're $4 million in the red and they're not? Yeah, but we're cutting and they're not cutting. Right, again, you overspent by $4 million. They didn't overspend by $4 million. Why should they be making a cut? For, like for, for any reason, why should they be? Why are you expecting them to make some kind of a cut to share your sacrifice when you overspent? And then we get the excuses, Paul. It's because of special ed. It's unfunded mandates. Listen, all of that might be true, but it's irrelevant to the bottom line. 
the simplicity of it is you're four million dollars in the red regardless of how you got there. So the school department should be laying off, the school department should be cutting back, but you know what they're doing, Paul? They're giving mm -hmm. raises. Mm. They're giving raises in the school department. So the school department overspends, the city bails them out, the city has to borrow money from the state, the city gets a fiscal overseer, and the schools are given raises. And then you have DJ Deeb on the school they, committee saying, hey, pay no attention to those guys over there that are overspending on the school committee. The police, the police aren't cutting. How come the police aren't cutting? And it's a full-blown attack on the police, and it came to a head last night. Um, so he's not the only one that's blaming the police. No, the, no, it's, it's, it's the Eagle Tribune. Mm. It's uh, the political, it's the school committee, certainly. Um, I think it's certainly the uh, superintendent. It's all the school supporters. Everybody's, everybody's saying, look at, the, you know, look at the shiny object. Look at, look at all those cops and how much money they're making. But let's remember, it's not the cops and how much money they're making that caused a $4 million deficit. For whatever you want to say about the police salaries, and quite frankly, I think they deserve every penny they get. But regardless of what you think about the police salaries, regardless of whether you think they're too high, regardless of whether you think that scurrilous deals were made to get them that money, they're still not the reason you're borrowing $4 million. They're just not. The, you're borrowing $4 million because these schools overspent. And every second you spend talking about police officers, you're distracting from the real culprits. You're taking away from the fact that the schools have overspent. And so now the city council had a meeting last night. You should have seen Joyce Campagnon yelling and screaming. It was great. Every time she yells, I, I get all happy because it entertains me. Um, but they, they, they had a conversation last night about the fact that the mayor has renegotiated the police contract for the superior officers. And they, the police, give them credit. The police, police superior officers agreed, didn't have to, but they agreed to reopen their contract and take less money. They renegotiated with the city to take less of a raise than they had in their contract last year. Now, very, very easily they could have said, hey, the last mayor, the last council gave us a raise. It's 20%, 50%, whatever it is. It's a legal binding contract. We're keeping the money. We're not reopening it. We're going to work every day. We could lose our lives every day that we go to work. We're getting shot at. We're getting stuck with dirty needles. We're getting assaulted. We're not giving the money back. And they would be within their right to do that. But they didn't. They came to the table and said, we care about our community. We're going to reopen the contract. And this memorandum of understanding, which is like the new contract now, the city council refused to vote for it. So the mayor decided uh, in his authority as, as the chief executive officer of the city that he didn't need council approval. Not sure that's true, but he might be right. And he is now paying them at that rate. He's paying the superior officers at a lesser rate at the lesser rate of the exorbitant raise they were going to get okay. from the original amount that was why didn't agreed the, uh, to last year the board did you say yeah why, the, why didn't yeah, they yeah the city that? council did not want That's it they they wanted the mayor to go back and renegotiate to a 0 2 and 2 like 0% raise the first year to the oh, next they wanted year, it the next year. worse uh, or less yeah they wanted okay. it less okay. they okay. they wanted and listen they, they've got a point on their side there's a lot of points to be made nobody's completely wrong in all this the city council was told last year that the contract that they were voting on was a zero, two, and two. Zero the first year, two the next year, two the next year. Turns out it was like 40%, 50%, whatever it turned out to be. So the position of this current council is, hey, mayor, go back to the cops and come back to us with a contract that's zero, two, and two like we were originally promised. That will support anything else we're not really interested in. Now, that presents two problems. If we followed the council, which I think has been done a great job in Methuen this year. But if we follow the council, and they had voted no on that, and the mayor acquiesced to their vote and said, okay, we're not going to go with the memorandum of understanding for less. What happens is you go back to last year's contract where they're making like 40-something percent, where captains are making upwards of $400,000 a year, which is more than like the head of Secret Service makes, right? So you have a choice between... You have a bad choice and a worse choice. A, a very wise man named Paul Marano once said to me, hmm. when you're faced with two difficult choices, do you remember this? Not yet. Okay. When you Better are, be good. When you're faced with two very difficult choices, which could be bad or horrible, which wrong decision can you live with? Which bad decision can you live with? So if they vote for the MOU... Uh, under, the new, under the new numbers that, that Mayor Jujuga, and I give him credit for it because at least he did it, 
if you vote for the new MOU, it, it really here's what it comes down to. You're either going to give them a boatload of money or almost a boatload of money. That just, that's your choice. There is no zero, two, and two. That's not on the table. It's just not there. I don't think the cops are going to reopen their contract. I don't think they're even going to even consider it. So you've got a choice between a boatload of money or almost a boatload of money. Take the almost boatload of money, right? And then going forward, when you're negotiating your next contract, listen, the next time the contract comes up, give them zero. Yeah. And make up for it. And let yeah. inflation catch up now, and let everybody catch up for it. Now, in the meantime... The cops compromised a bit. Yeah, what, they did. What did the school administrators do? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, no, there's no compromise on the school side at all. Not that I've seen. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Gina DiNatale, who was here last week, can, uh, can pop up on Facebook and say, no, Tom, are you out of your mind like she's been doing lately? Which is good. Listen, I like it when my friends tell me I'm wrong because I, I know it's not malicious and not just being jerks about it. They actually do think I'm mm-hmm. wrong. Um, now, some administrators can make a lot of money. Listen, I'm not even talking about the teachers. I sat on a school committee. I sat in executive mm-hmm. session. I know what some of those administrators make. It's obscene what educators who sit in an office and never see the inside of a classroom make. Yeah. It's obscene. Uh, I think Fredo LeBoy was making somewhere in the neighborhood when he was, and this was way back five years, ten years ago, Fredo LeBoy was making somewhere in the neighborhood of $180,000 a year as the superintendent of the Lawrence schools. Now, I'm not saying it's not a tough job. It is. But when your superintendent's making that kind of money, that's just obscene. Yeah. And it's not a reflection on him. Listen, someone offered me $185,000. I'd walk a tightrope on a, on a, <laughs> over, over a canyon if you want to pay me that kind of money. So it's, it should, I, I don't think we should be blaming the cops, which I think is a total bait and switch. I think it's dishonest. I think it's dishonest on the part of DJD, my friend, and columnist for the Valley Patriot. I think it's dishonest on the part of the Eagle Tribune to do what they're doing. We need to be focusing on why... And Nick DiZoglio and Jana DiNatale from the school committee keep telling us it's because of unfunded mandates, it's because of special ed, it's because of all of these things. But guess what? You're the school committee. That's your job. Your job is to find ways to cut. Yeah. And what they could Let's have just shuffle it around a little bit. What they could have done is they could have at the beginning of the school year said, you know, all these deans that we have, mm. we have a we have a principal in every school. We have vice principals, multiple vice principals in every school, and we have deans in every school for each grade level, right? How about we get rid of some of the deans? I, I bet they could st- cut. Stop paying for a good amount of that. How about professional development, Paul? You ever do this professional development it's, scam? It's, it's all nonsense. Professional yeah. development is that when I sat on the school committee in Lawrence, one of the biggest scams I was educated to was this thing called professional development. Figure this out, kids. You take a job as a teacher in any school system, let's say Reading. You take uh, Salem, New Hampshire school system, you take a job as a teacher. The school department will pay you to go back to college, right? Because you're furthering your education, you're going to better yourself as a teacher. So now you get a higher degree. You get a higher level of degree. And because you got a higher level of degree that, by the way, we paid for, you're now more experienced, so you're in a higher category with the teachers union contract, and we're going to pay you more of a salary every year. So we paid to educate you so you could make more money. And then we have these professional development seminars we send them to. We send them to Disney mm. World. We send them to California. We send them to Aspen. And they go to these, these school educator uh, um, conferences that they go to, and they get these little certificates that say, I'm now certified in gender study bullying, or whatever the hell it is, right? This new made-up crap that they do. And because they've got this new certificate, according to their contract, we pay them even more money. So what we were seeing in the Lawrence schools, when I sat in the school committee back in like 96, 97, Uh. we'd have an influx of teachers right out of college, right? They'd come in, they'd sign up to be a teacher, we'd pay for them. They'd come in with like a master's, right? And we'd pay them to go get their doctorate. They'd go get their doctorate. We'd pay them while they were getting their doctorate, and we were paying for their school while they're getting their doctorate. Then they'd come back at a higher grade, and now that they've got their doctorate, now they're getting a higher grade, they padded their resume, they go to Boston. And now the Boston kids are getting the benefit of what the Lawrence taxpayers paid for to educate these teachers. It's a total scam. Now that's if you're a teacher. If you're an administrator, mm. wow, the largesse. I mean, you want to talk about turning on the spigot of, of taxpayer dollars. If you're like, if you're an administrator, let's say you're the head of discipline or you're the, you're the assistant, assistant to the associate of the dean of educational 
discipline in the Methuen or the Reading schools, right? <laughs> you can you can go. You could every class you take increases your pay. Yes. Every class you take increases the step that you're in in your in your contract, and you're not even in a classroom teaching anybody. You're not actually doing anything to educate children. You're shuffling mm. paper. Right, you're writing grants. You're calling people on the phone. You're looking at statistics, and you're you're doing all these Look, abstract things that do absolutely nothing to teach kids in a classroom. I know the entire thing is a scam, and so do you. The the problem is we have government-run schools. Yes, that, that's the number one problem. I agree with problem. you there. I mean, it started off with the little school, little red schoolhouse, and uh, you know, a few children from the neighborhood used to go there, where this nice little lady used to teach them, uh, you know, the alphabet. Right. And it, but. Uh, it just like a little house in the prairie, right? They exactly, would all go and they exactly. have a chalkboard and they learn it, stuff. It just became a a factory of babysitting kids that don't want to be there and don't learn anything. Right. And it's been that way for I'd say about thirty years, right? At least thirty years. And I don't want to repeat myself and, from previous. Oh, okay. No, I'm just saying. Uh, at what point are we going to blow up the whole thing? That's what I want to know. Yeah, well, the thing is we can't blow the whole thing up because the teachers' unions control the schools now. They control the curriculum now, which is weird, because police officers don't write laws, right? I'm not sure why, mm -hmm. why teachers are writing curriculum, but okay. Um, but they can't blow it up because these are the re-education camps of this generation. Well, of course it is. Where but, but when are parents going to be wise enough to take their kids out of these, these propaganda camps? Well, but how can they? Most, most parents are working two jobs. They don't have time to homeschool their kids. And most of them don't have the money to put them in a private school. I wish, you know, one of the reasons why uh, the Democrats and teachers unions hate charter schools is because they work mm. and it's taking money away from the public schools and so their school of thought is well if we have these charter schools kids that can learn but aren't learning because they're in these chaotic environments of public schools go off to charter schools then we're stuck with the worst of the worst right that's right that's the way it's supposed to be I don't understand why that's a bad thing I think that's kind of a good thing yeah, that, that, that the worst of the worst have a place to go to try to learn something. Right, right. Um, Kate Cappadogi, I'm sorry if I said it wrong, says, state controls the curriculum. Newsflash, Kate, sorry. State does not control the curriculum. You have the illusion that the state controls your curriculum. You watch, if this Commonwealth of Massachusetts tomorrow came out and said, we're going to do away with all types of gender studies and all discussions in any curriculum about uh, uh, global warming. You watch the teachers' union up in arms, calling their state reps, calling their state senators, calling the governor's office, and you see how quickly they change their mind even though they're the state, even though they're the state department of education. The teachers' unions control the curriculum, and they control it through their contracts, through lobbying, through taking money from dues from teachers who don't want to be in a teachers' union but have no choice because it's a communist system, <laughs> right? And they take money from teachers that don't want to be in the union, and then they take that money and they pay off legislators to pass laws so the teachers' unions can make more money and so that the curriculum will be what the teachers want are, it to be. Are they? I'm sorry, go ahead. Why is it, ask yourself this, why is it the kids today graduate and they don't know the first thing about balancing a checkbook or the, or the First Amendment to the Constitution or basic things about our history, but they all know about global warming, they all know about abortion, they all know about gay marriage, they all know about transgenderism, right? That, that's not a mistake. Yeah. That's on purpose. That's because our, our public schools have been used to be re-education camps to teach these kids politics, not to give these kids the tools they need to go out and get a real job. And we see it. How many kids have college educations in gender studies, can't find a job? You see it on Facebook every day, right? So, so some girl got a, got a job in oh. art, art history, you know, ancient Roman art history, and they've got a master's degree, and they can't find a job. They're working at, like, Starbucks. Right, yeah, because there's no real, the only jobs there are in gender studies is teaching gender studies to somebody else. That's the only job there is in gender studies. And by the way, what are we teaching in gender studies? We're teaching hatred and bigotry. That's what we're teaching, <laughs> right? So our, you're laughing because you know the backlash I'm going to get for saying that, right? <laughs> but that's what it is. Oh. That's what we're teaching. When we're teaching, remember this is 1984. This is George Orwell's 1984. Everything's the opposite of what we call it. When they say that they're teaching tolerance, they're really teaching intolerance because it's okay to attack Christians or whites or certain groups, but it's not okay to attack gays or blacks or other certain groups. And it generally breaks down to the groups that vote Democrat versus the groups that don't vote Democrat, but there's a little bit of crossover there. But this is what kids are learning. Paul, just go on my Facebook page and look at 
the millennials that started giving me a hard time a couple of days ago when I made the statement. Here's the statement I made on Facebook, folks. You tell me what I did wrong. Quote, lots of gangbangers coming on my page giving me shit about my previous post. That's what I said. Right? A flood of millennials. Why are you saying all Latinos are gangbangers? Wait, what? <laughs> huh? Wait, well, I had to go back. I'm like, wait, did I write that? Maybe I wrote that by accident. I go back and I look. I didn't write that at all. What are you talking about? But they've been brainwashed by our public education system to read in code. They've been taught yes. to think yeah. in code. And you hear this on CNN now way more brazenly than they used to admit. That they're talking, that, that they'll say, Donald Trump said he likes it when it's sunny out. But that's really code for the base. That he really hates black people and he's a Nazi. And I go, wait, what, huh? Like, I mean, I know I'm an old timer, I mean, but how did you get there? Like, how did you make that leap? I don't understand that. Let me. Uh, Josh let Ernest, hold, just hold that one uh, more thought. Yeah, yeah. Josh Ernest came out the first time I ever heard the Democrats in the media mm. admit about this talking code stuff. Yes. Josh Ernest came out one day. And dog had, whistle, I think they call it. Yeah. It's a dog whistle. Dog whistle. He came out one day and Obama had said something that was really horribly anti-American. And I can't remember what it was. But Josh mm. Ernest, who was the press secretary the next day, had to come out and defend it. And he said, what the president was really doing was sending a code to the base. And it was the first time you heard a government official of the media actually admit that they're lying. Because code to the base means he didn't really mean what he said. He was saying something in code so that other people would get a different message than the words that were coming out of his mouth. He would placate a certain amount of people, right. but he didn't really mean it. Right. So when, when Donald Trump comes out and says, Amorosa's a dog right? As he did yeah. a couple days ago. Yes. She's a dog. <gasps> that's racism. That's a dog whistle. That's, that's, that's code for the base that black people are dogs. But he's, he called Ted Cruz a dog. He called, he's, called, he's called a million other people who aren't minorities and aren't women a dog. And by the way, is the guy really a racist? He fired a black woman that he hired. I don't know any members and of the Klan hiring black women to work for them. And apparently he didn't even fire her. He Supposedly he was a little surprised that she was fired. I'm not sure I'm buying that, but I, I don't that's know. a narrative, I don't okay, know. I'll, I'll play along. But think about, the, think about what they want you to believe. They want you to believe that Donald Trump, who hired a black woman and let her work in the White House for a full year when a whole bunch of other people got fired and left, and she survived Flynn, and she survived Manafort, and she survived Bright Priebus. She survived all these people. And then finally, the White House fires her, hmm. and he's a racist. Wait, what? Because I mean, when I watch Klan rallies on the History Channel, I don't see them employing black people to serve them food or to do anything. Like, I don't see neo-Nazis hiring black people to do anything. And the excuse on the other side is, we're trying to make it look good. Do you know any Klansmen who try to make it look good? Like, I don't know any Nazis that no. try to make it look good. I don't, I just, so the whole narrative is all just a lie. It's all just baloney. It's ridiculous. It's proof that what they're saying on TV, on both sides, in both parties, are lies. They can call it dog whistle. They can call it code for the base. They can call it whatever they want. But at the end of the day, they're not being truthful. It's a lie. It's just a lie. Um, speaking about propaganda and, and education, yes, I, I put this on my Facebook yesterday. Um, I'll just read it. It's a personal note from one of my college students gave me at the last, the last class. Quote, for the first time at this college... I was not spoon-fed left-wing left -wing junk all day long. I have even heard it in math class, in all the other classes, but this one. This is the first class I have taken that is a real search for truth, unquote. Signed, Paul's wife. <laughs> it wasn't my wife. <laughs> no. Wasn't she was impressed by it, but yeah. it wasn't her. No, actually, it was a guy in his 30s. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, but it's so... Because well, he can think for himself. He's not a millennial. But it's so true, though. Yeah. When it, it's, it's sad, but what, what he just wrote there was really true for 90 some odd percent the of the education teachers. system is not about educating kids it's about indoctrinating mm. them with a political belief and it's about turning them against their parents it's about it's about teaching them that america sucks it's about teaching them all the negative the kids today know about the so-called genocide of the indians but do they know about the white Americans that picked cotton? Do they know about the white Americans that trailed the Wild West? Do they know about the, the Americans that came here and did good things and, and built societies and built communities and built railroads and the positive things? Like, I'm okay with teaching the negative, but teach the positive too. But when it's a daily dose of negative, you start to think, you graduate from high school thinking America sucks. How about this one? Do you ever hear about the white people who died in the Civil War so that black people, black people would be, could be freed? Free, right. Well, the excuse that we get is, no, 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 they weren't fighting for slavery. 
They, they were just fighting to preserve the union. Like, there's always mm. an excuse when it comes to white people. And at the same time, by the way, we're all supposed to be equal. And, of course, the white police officers that protects black people from yep. others. Right. Including some black people. Absolutely. That put their lives on the line. All right. We're at 59.59, so... Balance, Tom. Yeah. Balance. I had a couple other things I wanted to talk about, but I can't remember because my computer's not working, so I don't have my notes. Do want to remind you that February? I'm sorry, February. <laughs> we start that one over. August. Um, in August 24th, next Friday, Christine Hurley, great comedian. She's going to be at Salvatore's Restaurant on Merrimack Street in Lawrence. I'm going to be there. We have a table. Come join us. Uh, I'm looking to fill some people. Paul, if you'd like to come, if you and the wife would like to come, I, uh, I have a couple of open seats at my table. We'd love to have you. Um, thank you, everybody. The Valley Patriots on the streets. Uh, you can get Heroes in Our Midst, our book, the Valley Patriots book, my book, Heroes in Our Midst, on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Thank you, Ed Sullivan, our voice of purgatory. You and are Paul, welcome. Our, our really big shoe. And our, and our audience of one cartoon guy. We appreciate you being here. Telling you to go. Telling you to go. expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.